Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and today we are streaming live out of Idaho Falls, Idaho. As you know, I'm loving Idaho lately these days, or I've always loved Idaho. I have a twin brother that lives there and have visited him for many, many years now and just enjoying um, Idaho. I had some great fishing yesterday um, evening in Idaho. It was awesome. Um, and I just love everything about Idaho. Um, so today, we have Ethne Nance on our program. She is from Pacific Medical Revenue. She is located way out in Virginia, and she is going to talk to us about medical billing. She is an expert in medical billing, and you know on this program we've talked a lot about um, the insurance billing in healthcare and how... Uh, it really makes things more expensive, and there's a lot of non-transparent stuff that goes on. There's a lot of monopoly-type stuff that goes on, and in the end, it seems that consumers don't really benefit from a lot of it. So I w had the pleasure of being introduced to Ethne through one of the ARMPs that I work with in Idaho, actually, and I'm so glad that she introduced me because um, she, Ethne is an expert in medical billing. She speaks all over the country on this topic, and I'm super excited to have her on. Um, one of the things that you're probably going to learn today, hopefully, from the podcast is that, you know, all that time your doctor spends on the computer looking at when you're in their exam room and the doctor's on the computer checking off all these boxes. Um, it's not about patient care. Uh, he's not listening to you because he's trying to make sure he maximize, he or she maximizes medical billing. And that's part of the system. That's part of the racket. So um, that's why they spend so much time doing it so they can get reimbursed through through by the insurance companies. We're going to – she – Ethne has some crazy – some crazy examples of some of the billing the billing codes called ICD-9 codes that she'll explain later that are just ridiculous to say the least and it's they're not about patient care it's not about helping you the patient it's um about um actually research and that's something that I learned when, when I talked to her last week so um Ethne welcome to our show yeah, thanks for being on. So tell us a little bit about your history. How did you get into me medical billing and where you're at now and what you do? I've actually been in healthcare since about 1998, and I just kind of fell into it. I learned on the job, kind of took on more responsibilities. Eventually, around 2001, I actually started teaching at the college level, medical coding, medical billing administration. And I did that for a while and then decided I wanted to start my own company and have I've just been growing that until um, now. It's a national company. I have clients from New York to California. I have employees across the U.S. So, um it's been an interesting journey. I have seen many iterations of medical billing from 1990 till now. And what I've learned is every five years, it seems to completely reinvent itself. And there's a lot of challenges that go with it. Well, congratulations on the success of your company. That is totally awesome. Entrepreneur, I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, the the. You know, I know when we were speaking about um, medical billing, 
you kind of had a little phrase about the rhyme or reason behind medical billing. Is there a rhyme or reason behind it? Because I can tell you, as a as a um, healthcare provider that has been in that system, um, it never made any sense. And you know, I have been on both sides of it as a patient. I've been in, uh, on the side of it as a as a um, as a healthcare provider, and I've also been on the side of it when I was a commissioner for a hospital district. So I understand all sides of it, and never did it make any sense to me. So can you make any sense of it, or is, um, is that just doesn't have any sense? <laughs> well, when I would start my first medical coding class of the semester, I'd have all brand new students, and the thing that I would always tell them is, you're going to need to take rhyme, reason, and logic, throw it out the window, and then you can begin to understand the world of medical billing. <laughs> um, you know, I work with accountants with my clients, and I think they are the most frustrated with it because in their world, two plus two equals four. In medical billing, two plus two equals a zebra, if you're lucky. <laughs> It, it's not straightforward. It unfortunately is not like any other business where you provide a product, you give an invoice, you get paid. There's many, many steps to it. Um, everyone's somewhat aware of those steps, you know, medical coding, submitting the claim to the insurance. Um, but like you said, a lot of people don't realize it's not just putting codes down on a piece of paper and sending it <clears throat> to the insurance company. There's so much that goes on that you can take one little tiny subject in medical billing and just focus on that as your career and be very successful because it is, it's, it's pretty tough to learn for sure. There's been basically 10 editions. Okay. So right. ICD-10 is International Classification of Diseases. It's put out by the World Health Organization. And believe it or not, ICD-10 codes are used in other countries. And um, just like the metric system, uh, us here in the United States, we are behind the curve. Uh, other countries are on to additional versions of ICD-10. For example, they're on ICD-11, 12, 13. We're still stuck on 10. And when ICD-10 did roll out, it was, it was a nightmare because what happened is ICD-9, um, there was about 45 to 50,000 diagnosis codes you could select. And Ethne, let's, to, to back up, um, for those of us that aren't in the industry, for our listeners and viewers that aren't in the industry, let's explain. ICD must mean something. So if it doesn't, just ex if if there's not an ac if that's not an acronym, um, you know, explain what it is anyway. So sure, sure. So the easiest way to understand what I'm talking about is when a patient comes into the doctor's office. There's uh, why the patient came through the door and what the doctor did. What the doctor did is a certain set of numerical codes. They're called CPT. Why the patient came through the door, a sore throat, COVID, high blood pressure, whatever it is, that's assigned a, another type of code called an ICD-10. 
you can't just send a note to the insurance company saying, you know, Mr. Smith fell down and cut his head, please pay the bill. You have to take essentially why the patient walked through the door and what they did and put it into numerical codes. So ICD-10 is a book of about 155,000 alphanumeric codes. Is that it? <laughs> only i mean icd9 you were about forty-five thousand, and then you had to basically triple um and and, and it's, it's so absolutely granular what how to select a code what does it mean it it, it was a big learning curve and it takes a lot of time um a lot of systems had to be changed that type of thing um these codes uh you kind of mentioned that these these codes can tell you that you have COVID, they can tell you you had a sore throat, but these codes actually, there's there's some in here that are quite ridiculous. Um, we kind of talked about that. For example, yes. if you get attacked by an orca, there's a code for your initial attack from an orca, and there's a code for a subsequent attack a subsequent attack from an orca. There's an ICD-10 code for it. Okay, so now I just I just have to ask. In in all your experience, have you ever seen somebody code an ICD-10 code for an orca, let alone a, an orca attack, let alone a subsequent attack? No. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, secretly as a biller, I wish that I could code and bill for a bird attack because in ICD-10, you have to actually tell what bird it was. Was it a parrot? Was it a macaw? Was it a chicken? Um, and you have to say it was the first time or a second time. But what I want is to build that and then have the patient draw the bird that attacked them to send into the insurance company to support the claim. That would be amazing. Right. Well, I, you would have to hire like a veterinarian or something to identify the bird or something possibly. I don't yeah, know. Ex exactly. And you know, it's, they get crazier than that. There's one burns acquired from um, a fire on water skis. Are, are you serious? I'm, I am dead serious. A, a burn acquired while on water skis. On fire. Unbelievable. Okay. And I know when we were talking uh, last week, you talked about the space object. Tell us about the space object. Oh, uh, depending on how you get injured, you can actually uh, designate that you were injured in a spacecraft in space or that you were hit with a space object falling from space. Injured with a spacecraft, by, by a spacecraft in space. Yes, if you have an accident um, at the International Space Station, there is a code for that. Okay, now... All jokes aside, I know we're going to the extreme here, and there's a reason for that. I think what we like to show with this extreme is that there is no rhyme or reason behind it. Actually, you're going to get into that a little bit later about what the codes really mean. But it has nothing to do with patient care. Because let's say you get attacked by an orca. You know, obviously you would be in the ER, um, and the doctor doesn't care what attacked you. They're just going to do supportive measures to fix you. So it doesn't really matter if the space object or the or, or the orca, what they did, it's just, it matters what what doctor's going to do to fix you. So it has nothing to do with um, with patient care. 
But tell me this. So, um, I know many patients get frustrated when, you know, the bill gets sent to the insurance company and it gets rejected. And that is very, very common, as you know. So, my assumption would be, if they got attacked by a bird and they did not specify what bird, the claim would be rejected. Is that correct? It could be, yes. In yeah. fact, 87% of all claim rejections are because some piece of the information on the claim form was incorrect. And a claim rejection is not just frustrating for the patient. It's frustrating for the provider. It's frustrating for the biller because every time you have to go back and work a denial or a rejection, on average, it costs whoever is doing it about $25 a rejection. So it gets expensive. So you don't want them to re reject the bird attack. Right. And if you start doing the math of it, if it's a simple office visit and, you know, they were going to only make get $200 in the first place, you know, you get a couple rejections, you've lost all your profit. I mean, you've lost all your money. It's almost not even worth doing, which I think sometimes that's what insurance companies want is they want providers to just to give up sometimes and say, well, it's only 200 bucks. We're just going to write this one off. I don't know if, can you expand on that at all or comment on that? Oh, oh absolutely. And just so you know, a average office visit doesn't even come near $200. Um, for example, it, an average office visit, the code assigned with that, you're lucky if you get about $100 for that visit. And if you are a physician assistant, nurse practitioner, you're getting about $80 for that visit. Right. So not that much. Well, so if it rejects once, basically, you've lost any kind of profit you're ever going to make. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the margins are so small with providers in these office visits. It's, it's very much a misconception that medical providers with what they are billing are driving up the cost of insurance. That's not the case at all. Um, people don't understand that insurance companies set the rate that they get paid. For example, if a provider bills $1,000 for that office visit, and it gets to the insurance company and it doesn't reject, the insurance company is gonna come back and tell them, we see you build $1,000, we're going to give you $100 and that's it. You have to accept that amount. You don't get to go and collect, you know, you could bill a million dollars, doesn't matter. If they allow 100, you get 100. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that even though doctors bill high, they're not getting paid that it's really it's the insurance company that's kind of creating that monopoly as you say well and, and explain that because I, I can tell you from uh, you know a patient and a former healthcare provider I, I, that had to play that game i got tired of playing the game because it's it what it is what it is is a game and you know you have to overbill to capture all the charges and then when the you know, then when the claim gets rejected or the insurance just doesn't cover because deductible or, you know, whatever reason, the patient wasn't covered at the time or whatever reason, then the patient is stuck with that. Like, I'm going to use the extreme example, like you said, the million dollar bill, even though they're going to get paid a hundred. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on that and comment on that? I mean, because healthcare providers I, are playing that game, correct? Absolutely. So the first thing you need to understand is there is what's called in-network billing. 
that means that the doctor carries a contract with the insurance company. Meaning I agree that when I bill you and you tell me what you're going to pay, I accept it and I do not go after the patient for the additional amount. The other set is called out of network billing, which is I will bill you and then I will decide if the patient has to pay a portion or I will write off the, that amount. Um, I've read many an insurance contract. Um, part of my job is to review contracts, to negotiate with insurance companies, and to fight for increased amounts. Because insurance companies dictate what's called fee schedules. So for every single CPT code, remember those are the codes that tell what was done to the patient. For every one of those codes, there's a dollar amount assigned that you get paid for that code. Now, insurance companies can say, we're only going to pay you 80% of what Medicare would pay you. We will only pay you 120%. It doesn't matter, but that fee schedule is set. It's, it's, it's as if you, if you were to go to a car dealership and you would say, I love that Ferrari, and they go, well, it's $100,000. You go, that's great. I'm giving you $500. Where's the keys? That's what insurance companies are doing. Um, years ago, and when I say years ago, you're talking two to three years, which is a long time in medical billing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of providers were going out of network. They were tired of these in-network contracts. They were tired of having to eat large amounts of money, not being allowed to bill the patient other than what the insurance company says they were supposed to, and they went out of network. And a lot of them were able to be a little bit more successful because as long as they were ethical about it, they wouldn't stick patients with thousands of dollars, but they were able to go ahead and collect on those claims and get paid a little bit better. Insurance companies have gotten savvy to that. And they now will, for example, not have what's called out-of-network benefits for a patient, or they will have out-of-network benefits that are so astronomically high, there's no way the patient could see someone out of network. You and I talked, there is a healthcare system or healthcare plan, let's put it that way, that is run by a county hospital. And this is not the only uh, one of these in the United States. I've seen this in a few states, but this one in particular uh, went to a larger health plan and said, we would like to have our own health care plan in our local county. And anyone who is part of this bigger plan, we want them to now be in ours. So what happened is all of these people in this certain area that had this insurance were now part of this plan and their deductible went from $4,000 if it was out of network, meaning if you saw a doctor that wasn't contracted, you'd have to pay about $4,000 before the insurance would pay. It went from $4,000 to $50,000 a year for one person. You have to pay $50,000 worth of charges before they will pay anything out of network. Okay, let, let me just comment on that a little bit. So you mm -hmm. talked about being ethical, and that's one of the problems. I mean, that is not ethical right there. And no. that is a county hospital, I'm assuming. I'm just assuming, is it a public hospital? 
Is it a public? If it's a county hospital, it's probably public, right? It is public, yes. Supported by tax dollars. And this county hospital went into a county and said, we want to set up our own group and we're going to basically create a monopoly. And if you don't like it as a patient, um, too bad. Because if you want to go out of network, it's going to cost you $50,000 as yeah. a deductible instead of four. And the insurance company let that happen. So there, again, the hospital is in bed with the insurance company, creating a monopoly. What does that do? Service goes down. Price goes up. Period. That's what happens Absolutely. in a monopoly. That's what happens in a monopoly because there's no competition. And I know you know that story very well. I know it too because I've had some providers share that story with me. And it is it is extortion. It is like mob tactics. I don't think in any other industry that would be legal. But we let it be legal in the health insurance industry or in the healthcare industry. It's amazing. And there's – even if those type of – even that, that extreme example, even if that – is um, an extreme example. There's a lot of that that goes on in healthcare because really what these large groups have done with insurance companies is create monopolies. Because in most smaller towns now especially, you've got one or two options for healthcare and that's it. There is no, there is not a lot of small independent doctors you can go to. You can only go to the big clinics anymore and that is not good for consumers at all. Can you comment on that? No, it, it isn't. Listen, to own your own practice, which used to be what every provider wanted to do. They wanted to have their own practice, hang that shingle on the door, have their own patients and be their own boss. Unfortunately, they really realized it's expensive. Everything costs a lot of money. And when you're only making 86 to $100 for your patient, you barely break even. I have had Family practice providers tell me that the local grocery store manager actually has a larger salary than they do with their own practice. It's it's really hard. And when you get these big, big health systems um, and insurance companies working together, it's almost impossible to override that. You know, in the instance of this, this county hospital and this health plan, one of the problems that privately owned practices found is that they now just to jump through the hoops to be part of this little network so their patients could stay with them had to start paying additional things for example a nurse practitioner who can actually own her own practice and 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 practice medicine and and do it all on her own had to go hire a physician as her quote medical director and pay a lot of money just so that she could check a box to participate. And the thing is, is this is happening in Texas. This is happening in Kansas, Florida, New York. It's, it's, it's happening in a lot of places. And the other issue with these large insurance companies talking about out of network and some of the things that make it hard to bill is they've also partnered with other companies um, that they do what's called record requests and record reviews. And I, we are seeing across the country, providers get buried with records requests from these companies. They're basically stalling so 
they don't have to pay the bill. And these providers have to do all this additional work of copying medical records, mailing them off. And you're talking, they're not getting paid for 90 to 120 days because this insurance company is just dragging this out. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that's making it really hard for people to have their own practice. Yeah, for sure. Very, very difficult. I'll get it later in the show. I'll talk about some some solutions that you know I've talked about. We've had some doctors on the on the show, and I think that you have some um, you know clients that you work with that are kind of going a little bit that route. So I would appreciate your opinion. Um, so one of the ways to get around this out of network thing was um, for ARMPs anyway. And for those of you that don't know, I think Ethne talked a little bit about it, but an ARMP is an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Um, they've been around for years now and they can independently operate um, and do patient care without, without physician supervision. And I have worked with hundreds of ARMPs and love working with them. And I, I think, most of them are great. I mean, most all the ones I've met are great. That's for sure. And I think they, they don't, the ones that I've seen don't step out of line and try to do things that they are not qualified. I've heard stories about that. I've never seen that. Um, I see that if they need to refer some, somebody that's, you know, a patient that's a complicated case, they will, they will definitely do that. So, so they could be in network if they hire a physician um, and pay them you know, whatever monthly fee to be a medical director. And it's really, you know, um, a figurehead only and name only. They're not really doing much besides that. Tell me where that comes from. Cause that sounds like a physician group lobbied an insurance company to make that happen. Can you tell me about that? We talked a little bit about the AMA and things like that. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So the American Medical Association, the AMA is is a monster. It is a very, very large <clears throat> medical association. American Medical Association is their name. And they do a lot of lobbying and they work very closely with uh, CMS, Medicare. And AMA is for physicians, MDs, DOs, that type of thing. And they've essentially made it to where when an MD or DO bills an insurance company and the insurance allows a $100 payment, the MD or DO receives $100. If you're a nurse practitioner or a PA and you did the exact same office visit on the exact same patient, you're going to get $85. And a lot of this is just because the AMA lobbied for the physicians to get paid more. Um, they have a lot of say and control over a lot of things to include the codes, um, what's allowed on the codes, what the codes pay, um, who gets paid what. Um, they actually do the recommendations directly to Medicare, then Medicare sets it. Um, but the frustrating thing for me, because I work with a lot of mid-level practitioners, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, uh -huh. they should be getting paid the same as the doctor. That you know, the rent and the payroll costs and medical supply costs are exactly the same as what a, a physician is paying. Therefore, they should be paid the same amount. Um, but you know, it's like anything. The bigger the lobbying body is, the less likely it is you're going to benefit where they can. Yeah. So you're essentially saying the AMA is kind of an extension of CMS, which is Medicare, correct? 
Yes. So Medicare, Medicare is kind of the, the entity that sets the tone for all medical billing in the U.S. Um, I say that because all those insurance contracts that put a provider in network and have a fee schedule that say for this, you get paid X amount of money. Um, they're all based on a percentage of what Medicare allows. You know, it used to be that they would have their own private fee schedules, but now it's just if you're United Healthcare, you can get 135% of what Medicare would pay. If it's Medicaid, you're going to get 80%. And that's if you're a physician. If you're, uh, you know, if you're a nurse practitioner, your fee schedules are going to be a lot lower because AMA is actually the group that gives the recommendations for how you calculate out what to pay. They give those, they give those recommendations to Medicare. And, you know, if you really want to, uh, do some interesting reading, which I'm being completely sarcastic. It's <laughs> thousands of pages of the most boring, dry thing you'll ever read. Read the, essentially, in at the end of the summer, this year is like the end of July, Medicare puts out a couple thousand pages of what they're going to do to change the, the procedure codes, what they're going to pay, and they put it out there for what's called comment. And if you want to go in and see how things work, go read that. I just recommend a lot of coffee or you're <laughs> going to fall asleep within the first few pages. Well, I think what's interesting though, is that, you know, I, I know there's a lot of physicians that don't agree. It seems like at least, you know, from, from what I see in my practice, when I talk to physicians, there's a lot of them that don't agree with the AMA, that's for sure. So I don't know if the AMA is kind of a, a minority of them. Um, and I, and honestly, I've never really, I don't think I've talked to one physician, honestly, um, that is, um, that, sorry, we lost, we lost video for just a minute. There we go. Um, I don't think I've ever talked to one physician that is, um, excited about Medicare. I mean, cause most of them just aren't. So I don't know how well their lobbying efforts are working with Medicare. It seems like, you know, they're trying to to overcome a problem that, and, you know, and it's just getting worse. It used to be Medicare was a four letter word, but believe it or not, and, and this is how bad medical billing has gotten. Uh, Medicare is the easiest insurance company to bill and get paid with. Wow. That used yeah, to not, that, that, that used to not be the case. Is that correct? No. Wow. It used to not be the case. So there are some large commercial insurance companies that I will not name, but I bet you any medical provider could list off the top three that I'm thinking. Um, those commercial insurance companies with the amount of record request reviews and things, delay tactics, basically, they, they, push, they push the provider getting paid out 60, 90, 120 days. Medicare, um, if you send out a clean insurance claim, meaning it's right name, right date of birth, everything's the way it's supposed to, Medicare will put an EFT payment into your checking account within six business days. Wow. Yeah, that, that is pretty fast. So yeah. if it's a clean claim. Um, if it's a clean claim. Right. Do realize this, though. Um, 
those companies, and I, I when I was in practice and billing insurance, um, I, this happened to us over and over, and it, I think this is every healthcare provider's fear, is that those insurance companies can come back months and even years later, correct, and take money back. Explain that. So insurance companies, again, this is, um, <clears throat> they're, they're kind of feeding the beast. There are companies out there that are contracted to do audits. And what they're looking at is just numerical data, numerical trends. And they, they basically look at how providers are billing. And they may come back and say, oh, you know what? We, we paid you too much on these claims Five years ago, you owe us $3,000. And the companies that are doing the audits, you know, they're getting paid on what they find. So they're usually over-motivated. But it's not uncommon for a medical provider to get something in the mail saying, oops, sorry, we paid you $300 too much. We need that back now. And it could be from three days ago. It could be from three years ago. Um, I I don't think it's fair, to be honest with you, because listen, the insurance companies, when you send in this information, it used to be on paper, but now it isn't. It's all electronic transmission from the billing software program to the insurance company. And rarely do human eyes actually look at the data that's being transmitted to the insurance company. It's it's a software program that's going through right. a checklist and saying, okay, yes, this can pay. So if your software pro program's messed up, well, too bad. I don't think that the provider should have to pay it back. Yeah, and those stories are all too common, and not just $300, but I've heard 300000 And actually, in big, huge you know, clinics, it, millions of dollars sometimes. Yeah. And it's just crazy. I never... In no other industry, I mean, I think about if, if it was in a free market without a third-party payer, um, I can't imagine a patient ever, you know, two years calling me and saying, hey, Sean, remember that prescription I got two years ago? I want a refund for it. I, 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 I can't imagine that. And I think one of the problems is, is that healthcare providers let it happen. I mean, they keep letting it happen. And I know that Janet and I, we decided in our pharmacy that we didn't want to bill insurance anymore because of the racket. We haven't billed insurance since 2002. And we were definitely, you know, we were out there when it, according to a lot of people, it's like, oh, you got to bill insurance. You got to bill insurance. You need it for the volume and all that. And we just saw the numbers. It's like, if you're losing money in every transaction, you can't make it up on volume. And we wanted to be able to service our patients, um, to give the service we wanted at the price we wanted at the price the patient was demanding and you know when an insurance company was involved that just wasn't happening so that's why we got out of it and i mean we feel liberated and i mean one of the goals of 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 this show and this podcast and i also wrote a book in my book called sickened how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it and on that book you know you spoke of medicare all this is based off medicare and if you follow the history in my book of insurance billing it really all went south back in 1964 when Medicare, when the Medicare Act was signed. And ever, ever since then, healthcare costs skyrocket. And not just pricing of individual things, but overutilization. Um, you know, there's a story in my book how nursing home overutilization, nursing home utilization went up 700% in like five years. 
Is that because more people need nursing homes or is that because Medicare started paying for nursing homes? Um, you know, I, I think that's an easy answer. I don't think usually in a free market, you know, things go up 700% in five years in, in a true free market. So, um, yeah, go check out my book. It's available on Amazon, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Available on Kindle form. Also, later this year, will be available on audiobook and um, paperback. Um, and, and as this podcast... I also, I want to, and the book, I want to educate and empower patients and, and providers of healthcare that they should be in charge of their own healthcare and their own patients. And don't let an insurance company do that. I know that that's very difficult for some providers, but we've had a lot of different doctors and providers on here um, that do not take insurance anymore. And they, they make a good living. And they do it without a third party involved. So, and I do know this too, and you can comment on this, is that there's a lot, you, you were talking about out-of-network billing and people being ethical. So there's a lot of patient, patients now, myself included, that either don't have insurance or they don't have typical insurance or they have high deductible insurance. So they're looking for the best possible cash price. So um, let's say... Patient XYZ has a deductible of $5,000, and they don't, as most of us, as most people, we don't use those deductibles most every year. That's how the insurance companies make so much money. Um, so let's say when they go to provider, can they ask for a cash price and get a cash discount and just not bill their insurance? Can you comment on that? Depends. It depends on if the provider has a contract with the insurance company. It depends on the type of insurance that is involved. For example, if the provider participates with Medicare, they have to bill Medicare, period. It's written down. When you, uh, you, know, when you agree to participate, you agree you have to bill. Insurance contracts are written to benefit the insurance company. No, I mean, really? I know, I, it's, it's, a it's not about the patient? No, it, it is not. It is is simply just to benefit the house, just like a casino. Right. Insurance companies and are the casino. That, that is a great analogy because I think insurance companies work like mob tactics. I mean, extortion, um, you know, they're overbilling, they're, they're non-transparency, all that kind of stuff. Oh, my gosh. So that's a great analogy. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Um Part of the issue is that if the provider is in a contract, um, it's not that they would be breaking the law. And I actually have to clarify that with doctors all the time. You're not a contract with United Healthcare. It, if you don't do what they say, it's not that you're breaking the law. You're breaching a contract, and they legally can come after you. So in these contracts, they say if if we tell you to bill the patient two thousand dollars. As the doctor, you are required to bill the patient $2,000. So again, a lot of these high costs, if the doctor has a contract with the insurance company, it's not their choice to send you that bill. Because in an audit, and I have seen this, insurance companies will come in and they will not only just look at what the doctor wrote down for the visit, what the doctor sent to the insurance company to be billed, but they will look to confirm that you have been sending statements to the patient to try and collect payment. And you and the providers can get in a lot of trouble if they have not. So again, um, if the doctor is participating with the insurance company, most of the time, no, 
they they can't just charge you cash. They're required to bill. And and let me give you an example of that. Not not just you, Ethne, but our listeners and viewers. So this has become personal with me, and it's always been personal with me because I I have not liked the insurance health insurance industry for for many, many years now when I was a provider in it and, and a patient in it. Um, and when I see my patients that are, you know, abused by the system for sure. I mean, I really honestly believe, and I say this in my book, uh, health, health insurance is a scam. It's a ripoff. The whole system is broken. And one of the ways to fix it is to work in a true free market. So I talk to patients about, you know, going to providers and, and asking for cash. Now, one of the things is, is that Janet and I, we have our family signed up for a health sharing ministry. And so when we go to providers, they don't have any insurance contract with us. So we try to get the best price at the best service. And so, you know, we want to negotiate cash prices. Here's an example of how a patient really gets an out-of-network patient, or I guess even in-network, it just wouldn't be as severe, gets really, gets, um, taken advantage of in the system. So my son, as you guys know, you're following the story on Facebook. Uh, gosh, it's been, it's been May, it's since mid-May now. He had a compound fracture of his leg and, you know, his care was great, all that, everything was taken care of. But as you can imagine, and I was not surprised, the bill was just, you know, way over what, in my opinion, it should have been. So, and here's an example, just one thing. And I'm, I'm negotiating, I'm currently negotiating with, with the hospital now and the administration wants to meet with me tomorrow and hopefully we can come to some kind of terms. Um, here's, here's one of the ridiculous things, just one of them. So my son gets billed for an x-ray, $424. This same x-ray, I can drive a few miles and get for $59, six position x-ray. I can get for $59 cash. That includes reading fee and everything. So then I also find out that what the Medicare liable is, they bill $424. The Medicare liable is $31, and they want me to pay $424. That, to me, that is not ethical. It's a scam. It's a ripoff, and I want to expose the system because consumers need to know about this. They should not have to pay that $424. Can you comment on that? Sure. No, I, I don't think they should. Now, um, from a billing standpoint, you never want to bill 100% of what the insurance company would allow. Because if the insurance company pays you at 100%, you probably lost out on money. Because surprisingly, if you underbill an insurance company, they're not going to send you a letter, dear Dr. Smith, <laughs> by the way, here's an extra $25. They, they don't do that. But to bill that much over, and then not allow an adjustment back down to a more reasonable amount to me is unethical. If the allowed amount is $36, you know, if you want to double it for a cash rate, okay. On average within the United States, a, a doubled amount of, of Medicare fee schedule is usually acceptable to people, but to, add that type of money is it's just absolutely egregious it is i mean that, and that's even you know 36 dollars or 31 dollars was the allowable actually billed 424 and that's over 10 times now yeah. i will tell you that in my experience in healthcare because we we um we shop a lot of cash healthcare and we um refer a lot of patients to cash healthcare surgery center of oklahoma i talk about them a lot 
they um, do cash surgeries, and um, their pricing usually is one tenth of what you know a local hospital is. Uh, per example, the surgery my son had um, would have been sixty eight hundred dollars at Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Um, at my local hospital, it was forty six thousand. Right, it, it is, it, and it's just that's why I want to educate and empower consumers that this has got to change, and they are in charge of that. They can, you know. Just because they get sent that bill, if they're a cash pay patient or whatever, they need to go to that healthcare entity and find out what kind of discounts they have, find out what kind of programs they have. Because every hospital has, hospital or healthcare entity has some kind of program. They can call it whatever they want. They can call it charity. I don't care what they call it. But um, they have some kind of program. And usually what it ends up doing is that, this is what I've seen, is that, you know, the bill is $70,000. And, you know, oh, well, we're going to write off all but 12. Well, the price should have been 12 in the first place. Don't don't give me this write-off stuff. I mean, yeah. you were speaking of accountants, and, you know, healthcare drives accountants crazy. Of course it does because it's the only industry where, well, we, well we, you know, we billed 100000 last month, but we wrote off forty. No, you didn't. You oh, didn't and, re- oh, by the way, here's your <laughs> unicorn instead of a dollar bill. I, I get it. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't write that off. You overcharged in the first place. It's. Yeah. You would write it off. It, it's just. It, it's crazy. It, there is no accounting, like healthcare for sure. No. Look, if if you as a consumer, which you're as a patient, you are a consumer. If you really want to educate yourself. Um, For example, you're not just going to go out and pick the first car you see. You're going to do some research online. You're going to see what other dealerships are offering this car. What is the average price? What's the value? You can actually do that with um, doctor's visits, with anything. You have to know what the code is, and that's super simple. If you type into Google, whatever the procedure, whatever the visit is, if you just type in the name and then CPT, Google will typically just pop up a a code that's going to be the code or pretty close to what they probably would bill. If you have an EOB sent from your insurance company, it'll list the codes that they build. Here's what you can do. Go to Google. Go look at what they call a Medicare physician fee schedule lookup. And if you click on that, that is the Medicare fee schedule for the United States. And knowing that insurance companies pay a percentage of what Medicare says, you can go to this fee schedule lookup on the internet and find out the to the penny what Medicare would have paid for this. And you can take that information and you can go to these hospitals, to these clinics, yep. and you can say, listen, this is what you would have gotten paid if I was in network. Why are you going to you know, charge me 10 times more? Let's actually have a real conversation here. You actually at that point can go in with the tools to be able to say, I know what you should have been paid. And, you know, Here's one of the things that I dealt with because we didn't have an insurance. We didn't get an EOB. We just got a list of, you know, a list of all charges. Now, you make it sound really easy that, um, the you know, you just, okay, broken left tibia compound fracture. Here's a CPT code. But that's not how hospitals bill. You know that. Um, they, even though they usually get paid based on that CPT code, 
when they do their charges, especially to a cash pay patient, okay, you got Tylenol, we'll charge you $18. You got this, blue, 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 down the line. They charge you for every little detail down there, even though the insurance company would never even pay that remotely. So there's a lot of things that a hospital will bill for that an insurance company would never pay. Yes. And in fact, it's called bundling. So if you do surgery, let's say you remove someone's gallbladder, it is assumed that you are going to give the patient anesthesia. Therefore, anything you use for anesthesia, uh, lidocaine, whatever, it's going to be part of that code that you get paid on. You don't get to basically unbundle and say, we gave two Tylenol, we used four gauze pads and a scalpel. That's just assumed you use those things and that's your dollar amount. So yes, it is easy for me, you know, in a world that doesn't make sense, this makes sense to me. So one thing that consumers or patients can understand is you can always reach out to a billing company. Uh, For example, I've had patients contact me and ask if essentially we could be an advocate, if we could be the people that get on the phone with the insurance company and find out what exactly are you charging this person for? We can then take it, put the codes, figure out the dollar amount, and I've given it back to the patient to say, listen, this is what realistically they would have been paid this is what you need to go to them with because a lot of times it's it's not that us billers are nefarious and we're out to just get all your money no but we kind of are given marching orders on how we are supposed to handle certain accounts if you can go to that biller or the administrator or whomever and say this is exactly what you would have been paid if you build insurance let's now have a conversation and it's not just me and my company that do that, but you can always reach out to a billing company and just say, I need help. I, this is too much. I don't understand it because in a world that has a lot of terms like CPT, ICD-10, copay, coinsurance, deductible, on and on, they all sound the same. Yep. If you have someone that can speak the language, usually you can get things done in a more effective and affordable way. So you could be an advocate for the patient, even with the um, healthcare provider. If it's a hospital or something like that, you can be an advocate. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I love that. I've that's taken, awesome. I've taken on some big hospitals. That's, that's good to hear. And, you know, it does take an expert to, to do this. I will tell you, um, because it's so convoluted, I think, I think the hospitals like it that way. Because I will tell you, even being inside the system or being in healthcare, I had to, when I was going through my son's bill, I reached out to some other people that are, you know, inside hospitals and they know the billing and stuff like that. So they helped me out. And um, it was still, I mean, it's frustrating for me. I wanted to pull my hair out. I can't imagine a consumer that knows nothing about healthcare and they're trying to navigate it. And it's very, very sad. Um, You know, on my hospital, my son's hospital bill, uh, it was $46,000. At best, Medicare would have, if they paid for everything, which I know they wouldn't, at best, they would have paid fifteen thousand um, dollars. So I'm I'm hoping that you know my hospital will will do something and uh, to negotiate with me. And what I want to do is I want to educate consumers that you know the hospitals should do the right thing, and the consumers should talk to hospitals about it because 
Um, that's the only way we're going to make change is make hospitals be transparent and, and, and make them, you know, make them charge what is fair. I don't necessarily like the term fair, but I can't think of a better, a better term, but charging somebody 10 plus times what they would normally get reimbursed. That does not seem fair in any industry to anybody. I wouldn't think. No, it it does not. So let's go back a little bit. We're going to backtrack a little bit. So there were some unintended consequences of ACA. The Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. I, I write about these in my book. One of the unintended consequences was a lot of insurance companies went out of business. In Washington State, for instance, there are two insurance companies that you can that you can choose for for health insurance. Only two. Okay, that is pretty much, you know, ACA made a monopoly with insurance companies. Now, here's another thing I will say that that what has happened with, with health insurance companies. You mentioned um, commercial insurance. And I guess it's commercial. Sometimes some people call it private insurance because it's not state or it's not federal. But you know, it's not Medicare, it's not Medicaid. But I will tell you, in my opinion, there's no such thing as commercial private insurance anymore, because all of it is so heavily regulated by the federal and state government that it's they're told what to pay at what allowable, um, when to pay it, at what time, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's really such thing as private insurance anymore. You want to comment on that? No, again, because insurance companies base what they're going to pay on what Medicare says they would pay, I mean, that in and of itself, it's obvious. (laughs) Right, right. Controlling it. Right. right. You know, it's it's a simple thing. Um, Even the requirements to be able to assign a code, for example, if a. a doctor sees you for just a regular office visit, run of the mill. Hey, how are you doing? You have a sore throat. Here's a prescription. It has a code assigned of 99213. And when you use that code, there's a whole very confusing checklist of things that the provider has to make sure is documented so that they can justify using that code. Well, who decides what criteria has to be in that code description? The AMA and Medicare. Those are the two people right. that dictate for any anybody who uses that code in the U.S. what ha- what is in that claim and what is on that chart. Um, you know, I, I could talk a long time, but <laughs> Some of the other unintended consequences of the ACA, going back to that health plan with a $50,000 deductible, right? it was a loophole within ACA that, was, that allowed county hospitals and health insurance plans to be able to start to do these types of things. It wasn't allowed prior to that, to have that type of monopoly. Um, and like I said, they're, wow. they've cropped up in a lot of places and it, it has really limited healthcare for a lot of patients and it has not saved them any money at all. Right. And, you know, in my book, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It, there's a six step solution. And one of those steps is, one of those steps is that, you know, your lo- your state can actually opt out of Obamacare out of the Affordable Care Act. Um, I know that's a big step, but I know there's states thinking about that because it's cost them so much money and, and, and patients have not benefited for sure. So is it true, backing up again on the ICD-10 codes, tell us a little bit about, I don't know if this was because of the Affordable Care Act or if it was some other um, rule or government regulation, but tell me about ICD-9-10 codes and why they're so 
there are these crazy codes. It has nothing to do with patient care. It has something to do with research. Will you tell us about that? Yes. So when you go to the doctor's office, one of those diagnosis codes is going to justify why you went. That will confirm that the doctor can get paid. Telling the insurance company that you had a other type of contact with the cow other than being bit or kicked has nothing to do with the doctor getting paid. All of these different types of codes, and it's it's not just Medicare that does it. This is uh, other commercial insurances, United Healthcare, Cigna, Aetna, et cetera. They take this information and compile it into databases. And then what happens is you have healthcare collaborative think tanks. These are usually people with PhDs, much smarter than me. Um, and I've, I've actually was invited to be part of one. And this is what how it became eye opening for me. These healthcare collaborative groups that are usually supported by universities. They're the ones that are driving for this information and data. All of these extra these CP or these ICD-10 codes for an orca bite, all of the other little buttons the doctor has to click, they're the ones pushing for this data because with the ACA and a couple other um, things that came down, they get grant money to have a job. And, wow. you know, a lot of their premises, we're looking at this data to see if patient outcomes have gotten better, et cetera, et cetera. Me being a person in the trenches, seeing how this actually works, seeing the amount of time doctors take to check the boxes and do all this ridiculous coding, uh, I was the one that was going, this is, this, this is nuts. I mean, you're asking doctors to do all of this extra work that doesn't benefit the patients so you can do a study. And to be honest with you, I, I, you know, realistically, a lot of that data is probably not accurate because there's a lot of times the doctors are just click, 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 click. Okay, I'll right. see you next week. Right, right. Well, thanks thanks for sharing that. So these ICD-9, ICD-10 codes are about research, not about yeah. patient care for sure. Okay, so in a perfect world, um, you know, we, we, we don't just talk about problems here. We want to talk about solutions. And I know one of my solutions for for the uh, system, the healthcare system, and I've had some doctors on my show, and I'm going to steal this quote from them. You know, um, I had a doctor on, Dr. Kirby Farnsworth, a few weeks ago, and he said that he decided that the only fix for the system was to get out of the system. So he opened up his own direct primary care practice. It's a membership model, very affordable, like $65 a month. You can have unlimited access to a doctor, um, you know, and then there's no extra fees, and then you get inexpensive labs and inexpensive x-rays and all this kind of stuff that he's network that he's negotiated with other healthcare entities for cash prices. So that's one of my fixes in, in my book. I talk about that. Um, I know that sounds like a perfect world. It might sound like utopia, um, but that's, that is still my belief. And I still think that there is a lot to be said or, or much, much to be said about free market medicine. And the only way to have free market is if we get monopolies out of it. So if you get Medicare and Medicaid and the insurance companies out of it, that will be the consumers driving free market, which will drive service and price. If we don't have that, Ethne, if we didn't have a total, a total free market, what is your answer to a fix? I think it has something to do with out of network. Um, 
and you know maybe a maybe a government rule. I'm not big on government rules, but <laughs> if if there was a government rule that could fix that could fix this, what do you think it could be? Well, of course, I'm always going to be a proponent for just fixing the system and keeping insurance billing because obviously I have a billing company. So, right. uh, well, I love I, I that's why I wanted to have you on. And that's why yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on because obviously you've got skin in the game and you're ex you're exposing this and just think about how many people like yourself and how many people you employ and how many people in a healthcare entity are employed because of insurance billing. You and I were talking before the show, probably over 50% of them. So there is a lot of pushback when somebody says, oh, well, let's just get rid of insurance, period, and people pay cash. Well, a lot of people would be laid off. There's no doubt about it. One of the reasons our pharmacy is so efficient and we have a lot less staff is because we don't bill any insurance. That's why we're able to offer a lower price. So go ahead. What is your fix? Oh, I have a few fixes, but I think there should be more of a balance. I think there should be more op affordable options where if you want to pay cash, you can. Because I'm sure you have found out it's hard to find those people that offer an affordable um, x-ray or do wholesale lab tests, that type of thing. In the world of insurance billing, I, there's a lot, a lot that can be improved that could improve the bottom line of providers. It could lower the costs of insurance for everybody. Um, listen, when a doctor has a, a practice, yes, they are there for the patients, but it is a business and you have to look at it as a business. You have to look at, am I operating this efficiently? Um, I, I told you, if I were to ever write a book on medical billing the, and the secrets, I'd call it death by a thousand paper cuts <laughs> because it, it, it's never one thing that causes a doctor to struggle to play the game, to get paid, to make ends meet, to cover payroll. It, it, it's lots of little hiccups along the way. And if providers could just go back to the basics and understand each little step along the way helps you to get paid in an efficient way. And, and doctors could stop struggling and kind of see, you know, when, when you're in the weeds and everything's on fire, you can't see the big picture. You're focused on right. the fire. If you could then step back and see, you know, for example, why is the AMA have so much control and say over things? And we could start to look at these others. But, you know, when... There's a lot of providers that they're just, I, I, I have to make payroll. I have got to be able to make it till the end of the month. And they don't have the ability to look at these bigger things. One other thing I would do, and this is just my soapbox, if you'll allow me. Please. I would like to see the, outshore, the offshore sourcing of medical billing go away. First of all, it would be a huge employment boost to the United States. Second, I don't think a lot of people realize HIPAA, which we've all heard about, which is uh, the protection of your health information. That's your date of birth, your social security number, and what you're sick with. When it leaves the United States, HIPAA doesn't apply to that information anymore. Wow. HIPAA is a law for the U.S. It's not an international law. And I really feel that if we could bring all of our health information back, It'd be a big job boost, but I also think you'd see better quality because there's a lot of times that offshore billing, they don't necessarily really understand the complexity of this environment and everything that's involved. 
I've had some personal experiences with that recently with my son's ambulance bill, and I called customer service to try to negotiate a cash price, and you could just tell it was not somebody from the United States, and you could just tell English was not their first language, and there was no way I was going to communicate with them what I needed to communicate, so I had to get somebody else, um, you know, that um, inside the United States so I could explain my issue. And they're working on it now. Um, but, th but there was no way that other guy would have ever gotten anywhere with me. He, he was going through a checklist. You could just tell. And my, ch my checklist did not meet his checklist. <laughs> it was, he, he couldn't find it. Yeah. And that's very common. And, and that happens with patient information. That also happens with provider information. So your license, your DEA, your social security number, everything is wow. usually, in the Philippines, it's in Pakistan, it's in India, it's in um, sometimes China, wow. but your very sensitive information is over there being handled by someone who's working for an insurance company here in the US. Wow, well, thank you for educating us on that. Now, one more thing, you said something about a law change about out-of-network providers or something that, that could fix some of this stuff with overbilling. Well, there's a, there's been a lot of talk about surprise billing. Oh, where, yes. Yeah, so surprise billing is, let's say you go to the hospital. The hospital is in network. Your surgeon is in network. But the anesthesiologist that put you asleep for the day wasn't in network. So you end up getting a massively huge out-of-network bill when you did everything you could to make sure that everyone was in network. I truly believe that this movement is going to go into all of out of network billing. And you're not going to be able to send these patients these massive bills anymore. And, and I, I have seen them. It's there's no way anyone needs to receive a $15,000 bill for something that should have been reimbursed at $30. Yes, it's mob tactics. That is mob tactics. Yeah, to me, it's very unethical. Yeah, very. Like I said, if, if everyone else is getting paid this amount and you want to double it, okay. But don't multiply it by 15 and then ask that that be paid. That's, I mean, that's really, to me, that's what's giving healthcare a really bad name. Right For sure. Well, and that's why we have you on, because we want to expose the system. We want to educate and empower consumers that they need to be in charge of not only their own health, but also their own healthcare finances, because that's the only way it's going to get fixed. So I, I appreciate you being on. What would you like in the last minute? What would you like? How do people find you? And what are your parting words for today's podcast? Well, people can find me through my company. We are on Facebook as Pacific Medical Revenue. You can also go to pacificmedicalrevenue.com, our phone number, and you can message us directly from that website. Um, and we're here to help. And it's not just doctors. If you're really struggling and you need someone to essentially be that translator, we're here to help and we can do it. Um, there's a lot of people stuck with some really big bills that have no idea what's going on and it, it needs to change. Um, I don't want to ever see it just go to a cash pay system or single payer, of course. Right. But, <laughs> but I really think that a lot of people, especially in the healthcare industry, need to focus on the basics and start at the beginning, put a polish on it. And I really think things would be a lot more um, efficient and there'd be a lot less issues.
I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for being on today, Ethne. Uh, I appreciate your expertise, and um, I really want to keep in touch. Uh, and hopefully, if anybody needs anything, you can reach out to Ethne. She gave you all of her contact information. Um, she's an advocate. She is there for patients and, and healthcare providers that, that need some help. So please feel free to reach out to her. So that, that concludes our podcast today, our midweek podcast. And our midweek podcast usually streams every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we you can find us on – we stream live on Facebook and we f- stream live on YouTube. You will also find us on all the podcast forums, so SoundCloud and iTunes, Google Play, all those, iHeartRadio, all your favorite sound uh, podcast forums. Monday – our podcast we will have tara don miller she is a counselor a mental health counselor specializing in trauma she has her own personal story and that's why she became a trauma counselor and she's got some very very great counseling techniques and i'm excited to have her on um so don't miss that we stream we will be streaming live 1 to 2 p.m pacific standard time um and uh i'm super excited to have her on she um her personal story is was a very tragic one, and things just got worse and worse and worse and just built on top of each other, as a lot of us can attribute to, and she was able to overcome it by a certain counseling technique, and she's going to... Now she's certified to do that, so she's going to going to educate us about that. So tune in then. As always... Um, we enjoy you listening to us and watching us. Please like our YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our Facebook. Follow me on Facebook, Sean Needham on Facebook. I've got 5,000 friends, so I can't friend many, anybody much anymore, but follow me on Facebook. I'd appreciate it. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for listening.